welcome to Women Travel, a podcast about the places women have been and the things they did there. First of all, I wanted to start with a quote by my favorite travel writer, Pico Ayer, to kind of set the mood, and then uh, I will introduce our guests for this episode. I worry about the wild places in the imagination and the rainforests of our being. That travel has grown so commonplace is a blessing for us all, and has the potential to make us all more cosmopolitan, broad-minded, and alive. But if we don't travel to Ethiopia or Japan for something deeper than the ramen joints and the clothes shops there, we'll remain no less provincial than before. And now I want to bring on Kayana Van Houten. Hello, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. Excited to be here. And Kayana, just so that we have a sense of who you are, what, what are you doing at home right now? Or these days, I'm uh, I'm one of the few people actually physically going into work these days. Uh, I'm a scientist at an energy startup, so uh, unfortunately can't bring the lab home with me. Shucks, isn't that? <laughs> I'm just imagining just boxes and boxes of glassware and all that. <laughs> yeah, a little more difficult than a laptop. Yep. Uh, all scientists are chemists, right? Is that just like the visual? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> You're much. You're measuring things in beakers, right? Uh-huh. And there are colorful <laughs> liquids. Yep. <laughs> There's strange gases. Yes. But kind of going back in your past and digging through that treasure trove, um, I wanted to start with the story of getting dental work in Tijuana. Can you kind of tell me what happened there? Yeah. So uh, I think the very first time I ever traveled internationally, uh, I was nine years old in fourth grade. We had just moved to San Diego and my family wasn't doing too great on the money department. I don't think we had health insurance, let alone dental insurance at the time. Uh, so my my poor dear parents, you can imagine how they reacted when I uh, was uh, sucking on a lollipop, you know, one of those ones with bubble gum in the middle. Oh, yeah. And uh, I chewed down on it too soon. And my uh, one of my molars just totally cracked. And there was a giant hole in it. Oh, no. Um, and so my mom decided that the best thing to do would be to go to uh, Tijuana and get my uh, filling there, uh, which is in hindsight, really an interesting decision because uh, neither of us spoke any Spanish. Okay, that was going to uh, be my first question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was also, you know, in the days before Google Maps, uh, I think we, you know, used MapQuest and would print out the directions back in the day. Yeah, I don't know how she found this place, but we, we took a bus down to the border, uh, walked across the border, and... Uh, I uh, got my teeth, uh, got a filling, got it drilled out. Um, and again, neither of us spoke Spanish, but uh, we still managed to figure it out. Uh, I remember afterwards, my mom was uh, a little frustrated because apparently the dentist uh, did a little more than <laughs> she anticipated. Um, but I thought it was a, a grand adventure. Um, and, you know, my mouth was numb as we uh, were traveling back up to San Diego. And uh, like right ahead of the border, there are just all of these people sending like very stereotypical 
souvenir Mexican things like Mexican jumping beans and sombreros and all of these little wooden toys. Um, and my mom actually let me buy a few of the jumping beans before we went Ooh. back, which I don't know how that works in terms of customs and bringing live uh, creatures across the border. Uh, but <laughs> I guess it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you took a bus there as well. Like just something about that, like in current times, I guess I would have just like taken either probably just my car if I were to do that. So that's, was the, do you remember anything about the bus experience that? I don't remember a whole lot. No. There, fair enough. <laughs> um, and, and okay. One more question. Did your mom know anyone who did this? Was she like, Oh, this is a tried and true thing. Or was it just like, is your mom a big risk taker? <laughs> uh, that's that's amazing. You know, in, in some ways, she is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, I, I'll say that uh, my mom is very good at getting what she wants. Gotcha. Okay. And <laughs> she is kind of fearless in that regard. So, and then in another trip, you were in uh, China with your mom. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell me about that. Uh, my yeah, my my freshman year of high school, uh, the summer after my freshman year. My mom, my aunt, and my little brother all went uh, to China, where we spent um, about three weeks in Shanghai, which is where my mom is from, and um, about 10 days in Beijing. Uh, And this was actually my, uh, my mom is Chinese and uh, immigrated to the U.S. when she was uh, 21. And this was actually her first time back to China since she had left, which was crazy. Yeah. Can I get some perspective on like, what was her experience? Cause you were probably old enough to see her as more than a parent, like as a human, hopefully. Um, yeah. But yeah. What was, what was that like for her to come back? Yeah. It, I do actually think that is one of my first experiences of really seeing my mom as you know, a separate person, um, you know, a whole person (laughs) (laughs) disconnected from myself. But I just remember uh, her, like, we'd spent the day uh, driving around Shanghai, looking at a bunch of different sites. And I don't speak any Mandarin. So my mom was spent most of the day just talking to some uncles and other uh, family members. And then at one point she turned to me and my brother and uh, told us that the only thing she recognized in the city was the tree that grew in her front yard. Not even the house, but that one tree. And yeah, I just, I, I can't really imagine what that must be like to leave your country and your home and everything you've ever known and to come to the U.S. And, you know, I imagine always be a little homesick and then 30 years later to come back and see that the home you're homesick for doesn't exist anymore. And yeah, could tell that there was a lot of mixed emotion for her, um, even just in that sentence. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, yeah. It is pretty special, though, that she got to share that with her kids, though. And so what 
was your uh, favorite experience uh, on that trip? Or what oh, stands man. out the most? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Shanghai was actually a pretty uh, calm part of the trip. Um, That's surprising to me, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time with family. It was a lot of eating out, which, oh my gosh. Well, maybe the maybe my favorite part was just all the food. <laughs> but Beijing, that was actually also my mom's and my aunt's first time to Beijing ever in their entire life. So it was uh, a new experience for all of us. And uh, we went about it in a an interesting way. My mom decided to... Uh, book a tour she didn't want to have to figure out all of the logistics herself uh but she booked a uh mandarin only tour uh so the entire tour was translated to me and my brother through my mother um and i know my mom has a a tendency to um embellish or <laughs> exaggerate a little so i to this day, you know, don't really know how much of what I learned is factual. Um, but this tour experience was crazy. It was just like maximum vacation efficiency. It was just about cramming as much into every day as possible. Like we had, we had a very regimented schedule. Like we woke up at 7 a.m., you know, had a very quick breakfast, got onto the tour bus, and then we were just constantly running around from museum to historical sites until we got back to that hotel or a different hotel at uh, 11 p.m. that night. And then we would wind down and try to get as much sleep as we could before it all began again. <laughs> How many days was that tour? It was 10 days. 10. Yeah, it was. That's a lot. Yeah, just a total <laughs> whirlwind. I don't know what your energy level is naturally, but I was like, is there anything that helps? Like, like I know that different regions have different things that like help with caffeine, mm. basically, <laughs> or help speed you up. Is there anything that was like typical to find, you know, like a Chinese Red Bull equivalent or <laughs> I, I, <laughs> something like that. I think there probably is, but not that I uh, happen to sample. I guess I'm a pretty high energy person to begin with. So awesome. <laughs> it wasn't too, uh, too terrible for me. I just can't even fathom that though, <laughs> is the issue is like, yeah. I'm trying to I can't remember the last time I did anything from like seven in the morning until 11 at night. Like I just yeah, don't have that many ideas, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But it, it's nowadays when I see, you know, these packed tour buses of Chinese tourists, I feel some empathy for them because <laughs> I know what their days are like. <laughs> Do you feel like there were places where you kind of wanted to go back to? Cause I remember on pretty much every tour that I was on, um, uh, it, it, mostly in Europe is like, okay, well, this place was kind of interesting. So I want to come back to that or like, oh, this place wasn't that interesting. So I'm glad we get a, you know, zoom through it. Um, what were some of the places, if, uh, if any, that you were like, oh, I really want to come back here. Um, or that you would advise people to like, maybe spend more time focusing on that. Definitely one thing about the whirlwind tour is <laughs> there are a number of things that I'd like to number of places that I like I'd like to go back to um I know very touristy thing but I'd love to go back to the Great Wall and just you know spend more time trekking around um and yeah 
getting to see different parts of the wall besides just the, the very small, very crowded with tourist portion that we were at. They have like a certain stop where they're like, this is it. Okay. Anyway, is it that like that? Yeah. And there was in fact, kind of like this, I wouldn't say exactly roller coaster, but kind of roller coaster esque, uh, cart Ooh. that we all got into that would take us from sort of this huge parking lot up to the wall. But it, it kind of reminded me of like a state fair, <laughs> like one of those little carnival rides. <laughs> yeah, that would just took us through the forest. <laughs> I love that. Hey, uh, quick question. Was the gray wall really great? You know, it was I. <laughs> it's I. When did you go to Mongolia? I'm getting my timeline mixed up. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I went to Mongolia after college. So you came back home, went to college, and then you went to Mongolia um, for quite some time. So what was that trip? um, What was that experience like? Yeah. So uh, Mongolia, I I spent a month, spent about a month there. um, And it was uh, one stop on a a crazy trip around the world um, after I graduated from college, but Mongolia was one of the best parts. Um, I went there because I was uh, going to teach for um, a high school summer program and uh, decided to do some traveling around the country before and after. Um, So, uh, most of the traveling around the countryside, uh, I did through a guided tour, which, um, I didn't really have that much experience with besides this, uh, tour in China. Um, most of the travel I'd done prior to that was, uh, you know, just me or just me and my friends figuring it out and doing whatever seemed interesting to us. But in Mongolia, you, it really the best way to do it is with a tour uh tour group because um one the country is huge and extremely sparse um like to put things in perspective uh the population of mongolia is about 3 million people um and uh about half of the population live in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar. Um, so yeah, it not very many people over a lot of area. And so if you want to see much of the countryside or see much of anything besides the capital, you need a drive. And uh, <laughs> the roads in Mongolia uh, are not... <laughs> exactly friendly to tourists um you you really need someone who knows the roads and gps is not really a thing google maps is not a useful thing in mongolia you need someone who knows the roads um and so typically these tours uh you know a group of maybe like 10 people which i think was the size of our group we would cram into these two um old Russian vans, uh, and we would, we had, um, our two drivers, one for each of the vans, uh, 
a woman who was our cook and then a man who was our tour guide. And um, our tour guide was really the only one among them who um, really spoke English. Uh, but we spent, uh, I think it was a, a, a little less than two weeks um, traveling around the countryside. And uh, it was amazing. Like the, the Mongolian steppes are unlike any place I've seen. It's just like rolling green as far as the eye can see. Like if you're in the middle of the ocean staring out, except instead of water, you're staring at steps at grass. And I think what what's crazy what was crazy to me is that I'm used to forests and you know this is just grass with like not a tree in sight. It was it was wild to me, um, but I I really loved Mongolia and I uh, loved just getting to learn so much about the country through our tour guide. I was just constantly asking him questions, um, and one of the things that I think is so interesting about Mongolia is uh, kind of how traditional lifestyles and modern culture combine or collide. Um, one thing that's interesting about Mongolia is that the vast majority of the land in the country is not owned by anyone. Um, it's just uh, owned by the government, but anyone can use it and um, actually live on it as long as they don't build a permanent settlement. And that's because Mongolians to this day, many of them are still nomadic. Um, and so like, that's one really cool way that uh, that uh, tradition of lifestyle is able to continue. So they were able to preserve being able to uh, travel uh, in groups and, and keep the yurts um, and keep that tradition yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah. And actually, yurts that are so uh, cool. what they call them in, um, like, the stand oh, no, countries. The no, 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 you're all good. But in Mongolia, they're actually called gurs. Um, but pretty similar. Very cool. Oh, my gosh. I'm just, like, thinking about the steps and how gorgeous that must be. Um, can I ask, did you teach uh, English or did you teach physics? I actually taught um, two classes. I taught physics and uh, actually a storytelling class. Um, and then also... <laughs> Tell me more! <laughs> um, yeah, physics was on special relativity, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and storytelling, well, I kind of pitched it to the program director as, you know, uh, all of these high school students were juniors, so about to enter their senior year and apply for college. And so I pitched it to the program director of, mm -hmm. you know, these kids are going to write their college essay soon. You know, this would be a great experience for them to work on, um, you know, reflecting back on their lives and trying to figure out how to tell their story. Um, and it was, it was amazing. It was so much fun. And I mean, all of the classes. Um, and I, I thought it was so hilarious uh, because the, the, the students would often call me 
um, like, like Mrs. Kiana, even though I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at that point, I'm 21 years old and, you know, they're like four years younger than me, but they're calling me like Mrs. Kiana or just teacher or my favorite Mrs. Teacher. Um, Yes. Um, did you, yeah, did you really feel that authority figure kind of <laughs> feeling? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had <laughs> done some teaching beforehand, um, which is why I was doing this, because I knew that I loved teaching. Um, and yeah, I think that's one thing I, and I, I continue to teach these days um, in a volunteer capacity at a, a nearby prison but um, definitely there's like a teaching persona that I that I adopt, even like, you know, unintentionally, but uh, as a way of control or, you know, controlling the classroom or managing the classroom. One thing I loved about the, the storytelling class was um, getting to learn more about Mongolia through the stories of these high school kids. Um, and, you know, stories of like first kisses and um, also like family trauma and like dealing with illness and all of these very common experiences. But, you know, within the context of Mongolia. Wow. What a phenomenal experience to be able to yeah. to connect with students in that way and then to connect uh, with people from a different background in that way. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> in the stories that and how you've told it, there is sort of like a, um, there's a line of going to a place just to do something and then later on going to a place to have a curiosity uh, answered or, or to learn more about the place rather than just to have the place be a service, uh, a very direct service with dental work. Um, so so I was going to ask about that. Like, do you feel there was a question that you had as you traveled more and more that, and did it, did you feel like you were getting answers about the world? I think when it comes down to it, I, I'm just curious to see how other people live, um, and experience different cultures and especially experience, um, like the wild places of the world. Um, that's something that's very special to me. I'm a big hiker and backpacker, um, in general and grew up in Alaska, which is, uh, I think where that love of nature was fostered. But I, I think that is also something that I've, uh, you know, struggled with. And, um, as I've traveled, uh, because like, for example, um, when I was in Costa Rica on a family trip, this was some number of years after I graduated from college. The trip started with my mom doing most of the planning. And one of the places we went to that she chose was um, Park Manuel Antonio, which uh, is an extremely touristy uh, national park within Costa Rica. Like it's like the entire city is just a um, the ecosystem uh, or economic ecosystem is completely driven by tourism. Like the wildlife in the park are just so used to tourists now. Like monkeys will 
just come up to you and snatch the food right out of your hand because they're just so used to it. Um, and that is a place that I felt really bad about visiting um, because of, you know, the change or just how uh, how corrupted it had been by this tourism. Um, and in contrast, my favorite part of that um, trip was after this experience, I you know, wanted to try to find a way to experience the wild places of Costa Rica in by going somewhere a little more off the beaten path um, in a way that is a little more like responsible. And um, I found this really cool organization called Osa Wild, which is founded by this woman who's a biologist and she uh, continues to do research to this day while also running this organization that runs tours through a national park at the uh, southwestern end of Costa Rica. And she also works with uh, locals and helps them try to have like build a way to make a living by teaching tourists some of uh, the traditional things they do, where, where whether it's like cooking or farming cocoa. And I, I think that's super cool. So through this organization, we went on an overnight trekking trip through um, Park Corcovado, um, which is incredible. It's this this tiny park. Um, it may, like by area makes up less than a thousandth of a percent of the world's land area, but it contains 2.5% of the world's biodiversity, which is just crazy. Wow. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very special place. Um, <laughs> um, it's basically, it's, I think the last of its kind of specific type of rainforest left, which is really depressing. Um, but it's this just incredible jewel. And uh, mm. over the two days that we were there, just got to see so much wildlife. And especially having a biologist as a tour guide was amazing. We saw like dozens of capuchin, spider, oh howler, yeah. and squirrel monkeys. We saw an anteater, um, a few coatis, which are relatives of uh, raccoons. Um, and we saw three tapirs, which are, I think, relatives of elephants, but don't look like elephants. Isn't a tapir like a like a weird deer elephant yes. thing? Like it's got a snout? Yes, okay. it has a weird <laughs> thing. And it, it <laughs> likes to just hang out in mud and chill all day, which I feel, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not the mud, but Relatable. the chilling. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, cool. Okay, go on. Yeah, go on. and uh, oh gosh, we what else? We also saw peccaries, which are like wild pigs, bats, macaws, and uh, a crocodile. Which <laughs> funny story? <laughs> we needed to cross this little river, and uh, about our our tour guide, um, she went ahead, and while most of us were about halfway through the river. 
um, she suddenly like, uh, all right, guys, you know, come on, let's hurry up. And, you know, in a very calm but uh, commanding voice. Like that thing. And then yep. <laughs> as soon as we're all out of the water, she pulls out her binoculars and sets up the, the tripod and shows us that there was a literally a crocodile in the water with us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she is a an expert and knows not to tell people that there's a crocodile in the water while they're still in the water. (laughs) I think I love her so much more for that, where it's like, oh, but you've got to see that this crocodile is here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, you know. (laughs) Very... That's a very, like, biologist trope, like, oh, okay, uh, we're gonna look at this poisonous thing and just fight the urge to not touch it, but, like... (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. And I... It was also just really cool getting to learn so much more about, like, not just identifying all of these animals and critters, but also learning more just about, like what makes them unique from our biologist tour guide and um also really heartwarming to learn um that costa rica is uh the only tropical country that's um reversed the process of deforestation um like back in 1983 26 of the country was covered by forest and um as of a couple years ago, it's now um, 52%, which That's is huge. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, in the midst of hearing about deforestation and wildlife destruction in so many parts of the world, it's, you know, really inspiring to see that it doesn't have to continue this way. Right. It was um, something I was going to say earlier was that, like, because it has existed, it means that we can restore it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 (sighs) So after Costa Rica, you had this phenomenal experience of what the wilderness is like and what what the natural world could be with less human influence. Um, And then you wanted to share a story about going to Australia after that. So tell me about that experience. Yeah. So I went to Australia uh, winter of 2018. um, And basically my parents uh, realized that the only way to get my brother and I back to spend the holidays with him uh, is if we went on a vacation together. And uh, so I coerced them into going to Australia, um, mainly because I wanted to see and experience the Great Barrier Reef. So after a few days in Sydney, we went up to Cairns in the northeast part of Australia, which is where most people go to uh, see the Great Barrier Reef. We kind of did the typical thing of booking a tour on a boat uh, and went out with a bunch of other tourists. And in fact, most of the people working on the boat weren't even Australians. They were other foreigners who were working as guides or divers. Um, and so it, it was an incredible experience. I uh, went snorkeling and went scuba diving for the first time, and my mind was just blown by how beautiful this underwater world was just all of the fish and uh i 
really like cuttlefish. Uh, and so I saw uh, a bunch of cuttlefish, which I completely <laughs> fangirled over because um, they're so cool. And also just like gigantic clams, like as big as me. Uh, and it was just incredible i just kept wanting to go back down you mentioned gigantic clams and i was like so are you telling me that the little mermaid isn't lying that they <laughs> really have huge clams Maybe, yeah okay factual the huh. you know along with the mermaids i'm sure <laughs> yes here's hoping yeah uh okay <laughs> um so how does this lead to bats <laughs> yeah so uh even though I really enjoyed this experience, I also felt guilty because, um, you know, there's there was kind of an asterisk by my desire to see the Great Barrier Reef, which is wanting to see it while it's still around. And um, a lot of the Great Barrier Reef has been damaged um, both by ocean acidification caused by climate change, but also by just all of the droves of tourists going out into the water. And so I felt a mix of both awe and guilt over this experience. Um, and what I didn't expect is that the other amazing like wildlife experience I would have in Australia would be completely unplanned. Um, I was walking through the city of Cairns after going grocery shopping and uh, was walking by the city library when I heard all of this chirping. Um, and I thought, oh, I, I guess there must be a bunch of birds nearby and to look around for birds, which I don't see. And then I look up into the trees above me and see all of these black things dotting the branches and realize that they're bats. And so I am completely mind blown by all of these bats hanging over my head. Um, and throughout the days that we spent in Cairns, I also noticed that every night after sunset, the the sky would just fill with all of these bats flying off into the air, which was incredible to see. Um, and during one of these days walking by uh, the library, which was next to the grocery store, I noticed a sign advertising bat talks in which scientists who actually study bats uh, go and talk about bats. So I managed to convince my family to uh, go to one of these bat talks and which happened right before sunset uh, so that the scientists could talk about bats um, and then actually explain the process of the bats beginning to fly off into the night. So literally these trees were filled with on the order of 10,000 bats. I learned a whole lot about bats, that they're extremely social, that they're also not really nocturnal, um, and that they kind of just like take lots of naps throughout the day, and that there are bat babysitters in which 
Um, so all of these bats go flying off in the night, but the, the little ones who are too young stay behind with some adult bats that are designated babysitters, which is just incredible that that kind of social network and social infrastructure exists. Like, better child care than the U.S. in some ways. Um, <laughs> There's, like, bats with responsibilities. Exactly. Yeah. And... Um, Account-a-bats. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you could leave your little one behind with, you know, your batty aunt. <laughs> and it... So then, as the the sunset, uh, the scientists began to point out that um, basically there would be a, like a few brave bats, the risk takers, who would start to fly around and they would circle the trees to try to just feel out the wind currents and also just like smell, like smell um, based on the wind, like where they wanted to go that night. And then gradually, as time went on, more and more bats would start circling around the trees until there was just this cloud of bats above us. And then almost as if there was some sort of invisible cue, they all just start dispersing and going off into different directions to wherever they wanted to forage for fruits for the night. And it was just such an incredible sight, seeing these living clouds dot the sky and spread out and learning so much about these incredible creatures. And it just struck me how interesting it was that these two experiences were so different in some ways, um, like the Great Barrier Reef, that was one of the main reasons I was going to Australia and that trip, you know, did, does have like a significant and direct impact on the environment. Whereas this other experience was completely unplanned and a total surprise. And also something that I could experience without really harming the bats because the, the bats already roost in the city, <laughs> so they're they're used to people going about their business under them, and yeah, I just felt so lucky to experience both of those. And it it honestly seems like in the way that you told that story is in the first one, like you were you know you were doing the things you saw things, but with the bats, like you learned about how they act and how they behave. And even, you know, yeah. just like learning about how humans have different cultures, you learned how these animals have their own social networks. Um, I think I, I'm under the impression by how you told that story that, like, do you feel like you have a passion for bats now a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I, I will say after COVID, you know, when everyone was hating on bats for, you know, potentially being the source of covid i i feel very protective of the bats and you know <laughs> it's not their fault that they're vectors and you know humans going around bat habitats so i i do have a soft spot for bats now <laughs> and i think i i think that's really the crux of it of like how sustainable tourism uh the direction of what i hope to encourage is is that instead of just 
going and seeing the thing, but to actually learn about the thing, um, yeah, clearly builds a deeper relationship. Yeah, yeah. The experience is just so much richer. Phenomenal. Uh, you've got so many good stories that we might have to revisit um, <laughs> some other time. But um, this is going to be, so this is coming out May 1st. And so if you wanted to leave a message for your mom for Mother's Day, uh, you're more than welcome to um, be my guest. Uh, hi, mom. Hope you <laughs> didn't mind me telling about your uh dental work secrets um but happy happy mother's day and thank you for all the travel uh adventures that we've shared and uh the ones that i'm sure will come uh i love you happy mother's day to all the moms out there and um thank you for joining me kiana yeah it's been great to be here music is by king and queen of the losers you can check out all of their music on Bandcamp under the album name crutch thank you again kiana van houten for letting me interview you about all of your travels a quick shout out to my mom happy mother's day and thank you for being such a wonderful source of support i love you very much mom may your garden never freeze and the deer never eat your flowers and of course i want to say thank you for listening i appreciate the time that you give to me to listen to my voice and to me talk to people that i find interesting that's very very cool and i deeply appreciate you for listening if you have any questions concerns you got some positive feedback negative feedback you got someone that you think i should interview feel free to give me an email at womentravel at gmail.com women is always inclusively spelled with an x or you can find me on instagram and you are always welcome to join the journey all right take care out there and happy travel